Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And guys, we're in the same room together. The same exact <laughs> room. Not the same zip code, not the well, same we, country. It is the same zip code the, and the same yeah, country. Right, right, right. But yeah. it's the same room. More specifically, <laughs> yes. Right. We'll be able to cut each other off yeah, and stuff. I, right, exactly. I was going to say not uh, just or not only the same country or the same state. Right. I think we all so that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. it. Yeah, right. The view, okay. Yeah, the listeners know that now. Got you. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, it took us a while to figure out the, the recording setup. We're currently recording on three separate computers and three separate microphones. So this is going to be a bit of a problem to edit, but it's worth it to be together with each other. But we'll what see. matters is it's Tyler's problem to edit. That's true. And Jesse and I are going to go home and have a great <laughs> night. Tyler kind of has a lot of problems. He's trying to make sure his kid doesn't wake up. He's holding the baby. He's multitasking. We're trying to, you know, make sure this rain doesn't interfere with our audio too much in the background. So there's a lot Tyler is trying to balance right now. Yeah, so I I came over here and I was thinking we were going to like video record and I wore this orange shirt uh, for the Orioles. Now, the thing is, it's not an Oriole shirt, and I feel like subconsciously I was kind of, uh, I couldn't give a full Orioles endorsement this week just because of uh, we didn't have a single win this week, uh, but I still wanted to support and, you know, wear some orange. But, so what um, is it you have on there? What is it, that? It's a it's a shirt from undergrad. So okay. it's like an essay production, student association oh, production shirt. Okay. So, uh, so literally yeah. nothing to do with baseball. Oh, or... no, nothing. Okay. It's orange. <laughs> I, part, it is orange. Part of it also was uh, I didn't have any clean Oreo shirts available. That so that was part accurate. of the problem, too. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> yeah. It was a combination of several things here. So, yeah. Well, yeah. We, and we did contemplate recording video for this, but it wasn't working out. And we've decided to go just audio this week. But it'll still be on YouTube, just in audio form. It would have been strange to be on a Zoom session all in the same room. Well, that's that's what we tried to do. Yes. So pull yes. back the curtain a little bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and the internet wasn't having it. and uh, It yeah. did not go well. No. Yeah. Not at all. Okay, well, and Eli, it's nice to have you up from uh, from Florida. It's good to be here. Uh, yeah, Tyler, I had not seen you in person since you got married. Like, a, what is that? A year and a half. Ago? Yeah, oh, it, no, it was September of 2019, so pre-pandemic days. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so you hadn't seen him in person, but you saw the baby somehow. <laughs> I must have seen you in person since then. I don't think so. You've seen the I baby. You've seen him on camera a couple Maybe times. Maybe I've just seen him on camera like 37 times. How do you feel forget like I met this whether you met the baby or not? I, okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's a pretty bad world. friend. That's how. It's a look. I have no last, explanation. This last year has been tough on all of us. That's true. <laughs> okay. That's true. We're all vaccinated now. We're getting back to normal. And now yeah. Eli has held the baby. He's met the baby. And all is right with the world. I think the baby yeah. likes me too. Yeah. I got a smile pretty early on. We crawled around on the floor a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. He did some baby things. He tried to steal some pizza and some Coke from me. For the Coke, record, that's Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Yes. yes, Coca-Cola. And decaffeinated at that. So And decaffeinated. So the baby was not <laughs> at risk of any overdose <laughs> okay. or anything of the sort. <laughs> yeah, and having Eli and me here at the the same time, we're really testing the baby's facial recognition abilities. It's true. We you look kinda, very similar. Yeah, so... 
that's kind of an interesting dynamic for the baby to be able to explore. Yeah, we're we're furthering the cognitive abilities of Tyler's child. Yes. You know, we're I really we're here as an evaluation committee almost. Right. To yes. Determine you, if your child is going to be right. You know, an approximate IQ. I mean, I don't know what you know qualifications you have for that, but I appreciate you making the effort. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> of course, we do it for you. Okay, well, this is an Orioles podcast, so we should probably talk a little baseball. Yeah. We're a couple minutes in here, but as Jesse alluded to, uh, the Orioles have not won a single baseball game since the last time we recorded an episode, which was a week ago. Um, so it's feeling pretty bad around these parts. Um, I don't know, guys, if you have anything to say there, but they've got swept by the Nationals, swept by the Twins, and they've lost the first game of the White Sox series. We're currently recording this during the rain delay prior to game two, but um, I don't know. How are we feeling? I mean, the rain might save the Orioles tonight. That's true. So that that's definitely a possibility. Um, yeah, I mean, we've lost 10 in a row. Uh, nothing is going well right now. I mean, the <laughs> Orioles uh, are just an absolute disaster right now. And um, I mean, I, I'm not sure whether we're doing a silver lining segment tonight but if we are uh it was a real struggle to come up with a silver lining i mean john means had a good start yeah i think the real silver lining is all the stuff we're gonna say about the minor leagues yeah there's no major league silver lining the silver lining is the future it it and even the John Means start, it was probably like for this year a subpar John Means start. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't even for his standard this year. It's it, but it was it was a, it was still a start. I think most teams probably win because he was pretty good. But these Orioles are not most teams, right? But not the worst losing streak in baseball at the moment. The Arizona Diamondbacks have lost eleven games in a row as we record. The trade. Thank goodness of, they started one day before us. Right. right. That's true. <laughs> The trade-off, of course, is that uh, we have the worst record. That's true. So <laughs> they get the worst losing streak, and we get the worst record. So bring on that number one pick, baby. I know. Well, that's kind of the opposite side of it is, like, there is sort of an upside. I don't know if there is an obvious number one pick for next year's draft yet, but, you know, that's nice. One more top 100 type of prospect, at least. Yeah, I mean... Elias will be excited when he gets around to draft time uh, next year, but uh, he's not going to enjoy the process. No, and I think he'd probably be even surprised at how bad the team has been this year. We maybe got spoiled a little bit in April with a team that was somewhat competent, and now we're kind of seeing... I think this is is an overcorrection of awfulness. We're not... I don't think the Orioles are this bad, but it's not too surprising either, given... The pitching situation coming into the year and where we're at and all the injuries, not too surprising. We'll have to uh, reevaluate this as we move forward in the season and assess whether we have sort of an updated prediction as to our win total by the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of cheating, though, because then you've got so much information to go off of. Oh, of course. But I mean, I think we could maybe be like, are we will we be judging it against like 2019 or 2018, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. 2018 was the 47 win team. 2018 or 2019 was a step forward, you know. Hopefully we're closer to that 2019 range than 2018. Yeah. That's what I'll say. To be determined. Yeah. Um but speaking of injuries, Austin Hayes is back on the injured list. Doesn't seem like he's going to be there for very long, hopefully, but this is what his second hamstring strain of the season. Um you know, kind of lather rinse repeat with 
Austin Hayes on the injury bug, right? Yeah. It's it's worrisome. Like, he's really good, but he just can't stay on the field. Something that I will throw out here is, you know, the Orioles got in a situation where we only had one guy on the bench as a result of this Hayes injury. As a result of this Hayes injury, as a result of Ryan Mountcastle being hit on the hand, and as a result of, uh, I think it was Severino who was struggling. Uh Uh-huh. And so... I think this partially may be just to have some roster flexibility. You know, Trey Mancini got hit in the elbow also, so he's going to be down for a couple days. And it seemed like they were willing to wait this out for a couple days initially. Um, He had been sitting on the bench since the 24th and just got put on the IL today, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that gives me some confidence that this might not be a very serious injury. And he was the one who just had to get pushed. You know, we do have outfielders without him. And it made most sense to shut him down for 10 days as opposed to Mountcastle with his hand, as opposed to Mancini with his elbow, etc. Um, so it might have been more about roster flexibility than him truly needing 10 days. And with how injury prone he has been, you might as well give him the 10 days and make sure he's fine before he comes back. Well, in, in addition to that, um, you could get it retroactively. So right. like right. for the first few days that he was yeah, injured. So, so this is yeah. retroactive to the 24th. Um, and today we're speaking on the 28th. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's already about halfway through this time on the IL. And it's a minimal impact thing to me, you know, except we were able to bring up Ryan McKenna, and now we have an extra bat off the bench, an extra guy to pinch run, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it was more about roster flexibility than anything. So Nathan Ruiz from the Baltimore Sun tweeted out something interesting yesterday. Uh, he said, when the Orioles, or the Orioles record when Trey Mancini, Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, Anthony Santander, and Ryan Mountcastle are all in the starting lineup is 3-0. and But that those are the only three games. <laughs> three games. It was the opening sweep in Boston. Those are the only three games this season that all, what, five of those guys are in the lineup at the same time. Because Santander's back now, and then Hayes gets hurt. Like, the Orioles are bad, but when their best players play, they're not that bad. So it's just another frustrating It's kind a very of... small sample size, though. <laughs> it is, but, you know, think of all of their individual performances. Mountcastle's probably been the worst of the bunch there, and you would think he's got nowhere to go but up. You know, it's just, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Our, our lineup would definitely have a different outlook if all of those guys were healthy at the same time. I mean, for one, uh, one through six in the order would be a complete different makeup uh than mm-hmm. what we have right now um this is how he's getting to this so, <laughs> i knew what he was doing no, I, I i i thought about making this point but i didn't say it uh but yes forever, it, it ha- okay. you have to have your chance to gloat we will readily give it for everyone who is a little confused about what just happened uh i, I made a prediction uh a couple weeks ago on the podcast or a few weeks ago on yeah the probably podcast. almost a month ago but yeah yeah that was kind of more or less shot down by my co-host. <laughs> Not here. even. We ridiculed him. Yeah. Admittedly ridiculed. And you yeah. even yeah. afterwards were like, that was dumb. I shouldn't have said that. I, I, <laughs> I You guys looked at me like I had seven heads. And Jesse uh, was like, I just want to make sure I'm not putting bad takes out there for the podcast. What yeah. was the take? So the take was that at some point in the season for at least a few games, I thought Freddie Galvis would hit second in the lineup. Now, I was shocked <laughs> that he hit fourth in the lineup for a few games. That is more, like, distressing to me, I feel like, than him hitting second. Um, but, yeah, Galvis did uh, – and he got up there a lot earlier than I expected him to, admittedly. 
Um, but he's hot, he's mo- one of the hotter hitters uh, on the Orioles team right now. And, uh, yeah, with everybody injured, with so many of our hitters not performing right now, uh, that's how he, he got up there. But so, so now in the five games he's batted second, he has a 565 OPS. So kind of what we said would happen <laughs> is you move him up. The numbers aren't going to be as good because now pitchers are going to be bearing down a little bit on him. So yeah, and and you know. and yeah, and of course they're going to look at the lineup and say this is the guy we need to get out because right. we can't pitch to Mancini behind him or right. you know we don't want to pitch to him with a guy on. So exactly, um, yeah, no. So I mean, definitely, uh, I didn't say he was going to produce that great <laughs> when he was hitting too, but, but I thought he would. He, I thought he would get up there, but. Um, yeah, in any case, I, I got a little <laughs> lost on the point I was making. But, uh, yeah, just the depth that, that, of, the, of the lineup. Right. So, yeah, exactly. The The lineup is a lot deeper when we have those six guys in the lineup. When we have that, then Freddie Galvis hits somewhere more like seven or eight or even nine in the lineup. Um, you know, when all of those guys are are available, it's just that the lineup looks so bleak and so thin when Franco and Mountcastle don't hit, and then we have a couple more injuries at the top of the lineup in addition to that. I mean, the lineup just looks very, very dismal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's been kind of the problem all year long is it's it's injuries apart from, like, Cedric Mullins. You know, everybody else has pretty much had injury issues. That that everybody else, it's like you care about. Sorry, Michael Franco, <laughs> but pretty much everybody else. Yeah, and and the other thing I'll say about this Hayes injury is, I mean, it really is frustrating. Um, it must be even more frustrating for him. Um, but the Austin Hayes health, I think, needs to be the number one priority in terms of Austin Hayes. His health needs to be the Orioles' number one priority. So they need to do whatever they need to do to be able to make sure that he plays. And whether he needs an extra off day more often, whether he needs an extended routine coming into the ballpark, whatever it is he needs, the Orioles need to make this their mission to figure out with him. Uh, because, And just to be clear, it should be the Orioles' number one uh, mission with Austin Hayes, not necessarily right. with the entire team. Well, and it's, I wonder even like, cause it's another hamstring injury. Was he totally recovered from the last one? Mm-hmm. You know, like Ryan McKenna is capable enough. Let him just keep Ryan McKenna up, get Austin Hayes back. If he's got to be out a month, he's got to be out a month. Like why rush anything? Right. Why force anything? Yeah. I mean, no, that makes complete sense. I mean, he definitely has the talent. Of course, we want him to be getting experience playing yeah. and and getting every opportunity to get as many at bats under his belt, et cetera. But this is a guy definitely where his health needs to come first, for sure. Um, some other kind of negative news. It's kind of a a theme this week on the major league side of things. Uh, Dean Kramer struggled again. He's been sent down to Norfolk. I think this is the second time he's been demoted this year. Um, Eli, you were kind of kind of breaking down to us before we started recording, sort of what your thoughts were were about Kramer. I mean, do you want to share those with the yeah? Public? Um, I, I heard Brandon Hyde talking, and you know, he did mention that he really likes all four of Kramer's pitches nowadays. You know, the fastball, curveball, cutter, change mix, and really, you know, I have to agree. I think that everything passes the eye test. You know, his stuff looks electric. And that's kind of what we've always talked about with Dean Kramer. 
you know, the year he got traded over from the Dodgers, led the minor leagues in strikeouts. He has always been a guy, you know, whose stuff plays. It's just whether he can help himself by just commanding it well. It's whether he, you know, can avoid throwing a cutter, you know, like that isn't a front door truly like going from the hip to the inside corner, but instead it ends up inside corner to middle of the plate. Um, but, you know, I just out of curiosity, as I was prepping for this, I looked up the baseball savant page naturally, and everything about his pitches has gotten better this year in terms of the movement on them, in terms of the profile. Um, his curveball has added like almost a full inch of extra drop. You know, it's, I'm not going to go through every individual <laughs> pitch, but you know, the case in point, like his stuff is moving well. And I think this is probably a situation where he went into the lab this year, has worked really hard on understanding what he needs to do to get an extra little bit of action on each one. And in, you know, in his mindset, he's working so hard on making sure that each pitch is up to par that he's having a harder time commanding it. You know, if you're thinking about your fingers rolling over the top of the ball and the curveball, you're not thinking about that release point quite as much. You know, it, it's just where his mindset is uh, in improving his stuff. I think he's just losing his command a little bit. Um, we saw kind of a similar thing with John Means at the beginning of last year. You know, he started coming out throwing 96 in early 2020. And we were all really amazed by it. I was really excited by it. You know, I did the exact same thing. I brought up the Baseball Savant page and I was talking. Um, and, you know, John Means obviously had that famous talk with Brandon Hyde, had to bring himself down emotionally a little bit and start pitching within himself. So I'm very anxious to see if Dean Kramer will do the same thing. I think a trip down to Norfolk is good for him. Uh, he's got options left, so we can do this as much as we want this year. And it won't do him any harm, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of like, this is how it goes for young pitchers early in their career. I, I was kind of saying before that Kramer's kind of the one pitcher that I've sort of been disappointed with this year, just because, you know, I didn't expect that much out of Matt Harvey. I think he was better than expected early in the year. Jorge Lopez, we've all kind of had our say there. Obviously, John Means has been great. Um, Kramer's kind of the one that you were hoping he would show a little bit. I'm not expecting ace stuff, but... If he could be like a four and a half ERA type guy to be like, oh, yeah, here's a dude we can probably put at the back of the rotation for a few years, kind of hold down the fort. And he hasn't really done that. But like you said, Eli, it could be a, could just be a release point thing, kind of figuring some stuff out, um, getting back in the lab, taking a step back, going down to the AAA and taking the pressure off and kind of figuring some stuff out. You know, I'm not panicked yet, but certainly not ecstatic about the performance so far. Yeah, the thing I would say is just that, uh, you know, I think it's really important for Oriole fans to keep in mind this is a guy who's had 13 major league starts. He's pitched in 13 major league baseball games. Um, like you were saying, Tyler, for young pitchers, this is definitely a process uh, coming into the major leagues unless you're, you know, drafted in the first round or something like that. You know, most pitchers, I would say, don't come into major league baseball and just permanently stay there indefinitely without going up and down a little bit before you finally find some stability in the major leagues. So his, you know, his trajectory isn't being infringed upon or that nobody should have any alarms about uh, his performance so far. Um, like Eli was saying, he does have really good stuff. There is a lot about Dean, 
Dean Kramer to be really excited about um, in terms of his velocity, uh, his movement. Um, it's just really about what it comes down to for him is his command and whether he's going to be able to have enough command in the majors to be an effective pitcher. I mean, to me, he seems like one of the guys who can have a very good major league career, just kind of being one of these effectively wild pitchers. Um, but it's kind of more important for him to try to find a way to at least stay uh, wildly effective, at least in zones of the plate and stuff like that. Um, and not, not be throwing the feet, not uh, be pitching the ball three feet across the plate, not be throwing inside when you're trying to get outside. Um, when you're trying to throw a pitch on the outside corner, either have it be a ball on the outside corner or be dotted on the corner and not coming back across the plate, that kind of thing. So the command is definitely the thing he needs to kind of focus on. Um, But, you know, that is definitely – the the pitching staff definitely has the – their eye on this. Uh, The organization knows exactly where he needs to go and and what adjustments he needs to make. So uh, I'm definitely not – uh, overly depressed about him. Um, it'd just be nice if he was pitching a little better. And one of the other frustrating things was it not not anything long term. It, it I definitely didn't think. Oh, he figured it all out and he's going to be great now. But he did have a couple starts um, where he did pitch really well and had six innings and one run, or you know that kind of thing. Um, and then. But it only lasted a couple starts or three starts or something like that. And then he immediately kind of regressed to what he had been doing before. So that's kind of like Tyler was saying, that's kind of the life of a young pitcher, especially uh, a young pitcher in Dean Kramer's kind of situation, not a first round draft pick or anything like that. Um, Not a top 100 prospect, but um, yeah, but, Hopefully, uh, he'll be able to make some improvements going forward and kind of be a more durable four or five starter in the rotation. Yeah, I think Eli's comparison kind of like the, to the John Means situation where, you know, John Means was throwing harder last year, wasn't as effective, pulled it back, got more effective. Kramer could be a similar situation. Not that he's throwing 95-96, but, you know, like I was looking at baseball Savannah a second ago. Like his fa- his fastballs, he's like in the middle of the zone all the time. I mean... You don't throw 100 miles an hour. You're going to get smacked around. So you got to nibble a little bit more often. So maybe that's something you can go back and be like, chill out, maybe throw 90-91 and do some Greg Maddox stuff. Which that's kind of the tough thing for pitchers right. too is because they're trying to get ahead in the count. They don't want to get behind hitters. But yeah. then when they attack the strike zone, then they get hit. Cer- so, certainly easier said than done. Right. <laughs> so it's definitely uh, – that's part of learning how to pitch is trying to find that balance between attacking the strike zone and then not being stupid. Yeah. And, and now we get to see Keegan Aiken start um, this weekend, which, you know, I think opinions on him have changed over the last year. I don't think he's as exciting as maybe he once was. But, you know, I'm excited to see a guy, a young guy, get another chance to start after kind of pitching in a weird relief role for a little while here. So excited about that. Um Unfortunately, more negative news. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle and Trey Mancini are both currently day-to-day with a couple of injuries. Uh, neither one of them is going on the IL. However, and I guess this is kind of coinciding with that, Tyler Nevin has been called up. Um, like I said, neither one of them is going on the IL, but Nevin, somebody needs to play first base, and Nevin is the guy. 
Um, you know, are you guys at all concerned about the Mountcastle and Mancini injuries, uh, Jesse? <laughs> uh, not not really long term, mm-hmm. but I am in the short term. Yes, uh, and the reason is because the Orioles are not playing well right now. We've lost so many games. We've lost ten in a row, as as we've <laughs> stated. And the thing that's frustrating is this is just going to further demoralize an already frustrated baseball team. And um, that's kind of the thing is in the short term, I'm kind of worried that I don't think we're going to lose 30 in a row, but I think we might continue to play bad baseball for a while. Well, Um, and Mancini was really playing well. Mancini was legitimately being one of the best hitters in baseball the last two weeks or so. Yeah, he was he was basically the heart of our lineup, and we were relying on him for the little production this Orioles offense was uh, <laughs> was producing. So yeah, no, I mean it's definitely it's definitely a blow that the Orioles are going to have to try to to deal with. Um, I just don't know how much the Orioles are really in a position to bounce back from a situation like this in the short term. Yeah. Well, Eli, what do you think about maybe Tyler Nevin coming up, though? Is that exciting at all for you? <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's moderately exciting. You know, he's got a pedigree. He's the son of a famous baseball player. Moderately famous. You know, he um, he, he can handle the bat. I think it'll be cool to see him. I'm glad he's getting an opportunity. Uh, I think that Mountcastle is going to be the first baseman of the future. I don't think that Nevin will really factor in, but... Um, he's definitely got some potential with the bat, so uh, we'll see what he can do. And I think that Mountcastle and Mancini will be back in a couple days. Uh, they said that Mountcastle's already swinging the bat. He's potentially yeah. available off the bench. I just saw, actually, tonight's game is postponed. They're going to play a doubleheader tomorrow. So that's an extra day of rest for Mountcastle. I expect him to be back. Yeah. Uh, for those that maybe don't remember, Tyler Nevin, great first name, I got to say. But he's one of the guys that uh, oh, the <laughs> What's that? Well, you're a loser. <laughs> uh, he's one of the guys the Orioles got from uh, the Colorado Rockies in exchange for Michael Givens. He came over with uh, Taryn Vavra, who we'll be talking about a little bit later on. Um, more minor league related news. Hunter Harvey continues his rehab with the Norfolk Tides. He's been throwing a bit. He's not really looking like Hunter Harvey. He's not striking out a ton of guys, but. He was um, off for about two months, though. So. That's true. So, I, and the velos, I don't know what the velos are. I'm sure they're down quite a bit um, in early rehab. But, you know, what about the return of Harvey, Eli? You think that's going to provide a uh, necessary boost to this Orioles bullpen that's been uh, a bit depleted lately? Yeah, you you know, you look at the stabilizing force of the Orioles bullpen last year with Cesar Valdez, Tanner Scott, Dylan Tate, you know, the back end of that bullpen. Dylan Tate has been hurt. He's just coming back. Valdez has been outright terrible. Tanner Scott has no idea where the ball is going. I think that if there was one point on this team that we could inject some stability, it would be to the back end of the bullpen. I don't know. I I mean, I say that because the starting rotation was expected to be terrible, and it is terrible, so I'm not considering that a big loss right now. The bullpen's the loss because we expected it to be pretty good. Decent, yeah. And yeah, uh, so Hunter Harvey getting him back will be really nice. We, yeah, and we've been so complimentary of the back end of this bullpen so far on this podcast, and they've really done a good job for the most part. In hindsight, now that especially we're seeing everything that we're seeing, we should have known that this may not have been as locked down as maybe <laughs> we had presented it before. I mean, Cesar Valdez 
definitely I have a lot of respect for him and how yeah. he pitches and everything. But this is a guy that uh, relies upon uh, pitches uh, under 85 miles an hour pretty routinely. Um, and there's always, especially with his command at times, um, there was always a potential for him to implode, let alone uh, our history that we have with um, uh, Tanner Scott. And we know how wild he can be at times, uh, despite the progress that he had seemed to have made um, in recent months. Um, and then and Dylan Tate, of course, definitely a guy with a ton of talent, but also a guy who has had injuries in the past and who has had some problems um, just performing at certain moments in his career, too. So, um, yeah, I guess it hasn't been as locked down. But in terms of uh, Harvey, uh, I mean, if he could get back, I mean, this is a potential closer piece for the Orioles. Right. So um, with Valdez struggling, uh, this is somebody who could either potentially uh, long-term kind of take over that role if necessary. Yeah, I mean, the bullpen's kind of an interesting beast because they were so good, and then it was almost like in unison they all started struggling at the same time. Valdez has been the worst of the bunch probably, but Plutko's been – not nearly as good as he was. Tanner Scott's gone walk crazy. Paul Fry's still been solid, but not as good as he was. It's just like been a whole group in unison that hopefully at least a few of them figure it out. Cesar Valdez, though, I am legitimately worried he could be like on a slippery slope downward. Yeah, I mean, so I, I don't know about that. I mean, I think the Orioles will try to do some yeah. things to to fix him. I mean, he ha- he showed last year that he is probably a capable capable bullpen pitcher um so i think the orioles aren't gonna immediately give up on him um, not the closer anymore though they did remove right him right from that. right yes um but i forgot where i was going with that I, i'll jump in <laughs> i'll edit it yeah <laughs> i'm really not so sure i agree that valdez is a capable bullpen guy and the reason i say it some we were chatting before the podcast and somebody compared him to a knuckleballer and that that's almost what it feels like it feels like a little bit of a gimmick you know we all loved the dead fish it was a huge thing it was hilarious but <laughs> you, you, you know he's like he's at a point where he's throwing these change up 75 miles an hour you know he's so wild it, it's like incomprehensibly wild throwing this slow He's throwing pitches three, four feet outside the zone. He's got Severino diving all over the place. Severino can't catch the ball anyways. So <laughs> it, it's it's infuriating. And then, you know, finally, he throws one over the plate, and it's still 75 miles an hour no matter how much it dives. And, you know, an MLB hitter is going to tee off on that. So, I, you know, like, I believe that – I've been saying this for a couple weeks now. I think that if he ups his usage – of his fastball and slider, you know, like I think he throws his changeup about 75% of the time right now. I think if he drops that down to 60, you know, it's still a primary pitch. It's still an effective pitch. But right now, they just don't sit on anything else. There's no reason for a hitter to consider anything else up there. Right, and to your point, I mean, this is a guy who's who has to rely on keeping hitters off balance. In order exactly. to have any sort of effectiveness in Major League Baseball – if you throw under 80 miles an hour pretty routinely, you have to keep hitters off balance. And, yeah, the fact that hitters can just sit on this changeup is a giant, giant problem. Um, 
just for a little bit of context, I mean, just a couple weeks ago, now ERA definitely can easily get inflated in just a few bad outings for a closer just because, especially at this point in the season, uh, the number of innings for a closer uh, isn't going to be very great. So one bad outing uh, can definitely ruin things. But just a couple weeks ago, Valdez had an ERA under one or under two. And now it's totally imploded. It's over five. And, uh, yeah, it's not as pretty a number to look at on the stat sheet. Yeah, you know, Valdez is an older guy, but he's not a 36-year-old guy with a decade-plus of big league experience. You've kind of got to change your mindset to, like, a guy that's in his first or second year sort of in the big leagues. Like, okay, I had this one trick that was really good, and now they've kind of figured it out. I've got to adjust to it a little bit. He's he's definitely more of a wild card in terms Mm -hmm. of, like, what he will be or basically yeah will he be able to make this adjustment that he needs to make in order to continue to be effective in major league baseball um but yeah i mean i think also just to underscore your point i think that is a really important point is that part of this uh is part of it is him imploding part of it is is his command part of it might be just the league mm-hmm. adjusting and and figuring yeah, it out I think a it little bit is. he's been yeah. throwing one pitch for you know, like the entirety of the 60 game season last year. And, you know, he came out doing it again and it was effective. And then they're like, oh, wait, that's all you're going to throw? Right. Yeah, I can do that. You know, sure, throw it again. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, the Orioles are in a good position, at least right now, to kind of try some things still. Like, okay, Cesar, you've, you've had a, um, a, a hit a speed bump here. We can still kind of go forward for a little bit. But, you know, there does become a time where you got to kind of balance uh, competitiveness with, you know, putting a, some experiments out there. And I don't think we're quite there yet, but there are definitely some warning signs. Yeah. And also, I mean, just he is a, a curious, I mean, from a from an on paper perspective, he is a curious choice for a closer role. <laughs> um, so I, the fact that he's being, you know, at least temporarily removed from the closer role isn't the worst thing in no. the world so um yeah hopefully he'll be able to figure it out maybe i mean he seems like he's pretty good under pressure to me at least i mean he does absolutely implode but he <laughs> but he but he also does seem to get out of a lot of like yeah. really tough jams and and figure things out so um it is kind of an interesting thing but yeah maybe like some you know he can kind of as Eli says go to the lab and try yeah. to figure things out get some out low a leverage situations. situations right kind of uh do how our uh, our rule 5 guys normally pitch pitch in well, those sorts of yeah, situations yeah speaking of the rule 5 and, guys that's about to get more right, complicated right. here cuz <laughs> Max Groller is uh rehabbing with AAA Norfolk his is not going so well either um but i would assume he will be back in Baltimore at some point that's going to make there be a little bit of a roster squeeze Scroller, Wells, who's also struggled a little bit. Valdez is struggling. It becomes kind of a numbers game here. I mean, where where's everybody's heads at with with Scroller kneeling nearing a, a return to Baltimore? Are we are we excited about that? Or are we a little concerned about what's going to happen, Jesse? Well, the Orioles might try to delay his return. <laughs> right. I was going to say. I think we're going to see some flare up. You know, yeah. he had a setback in his rehab. Yeah. 
I, I mean, the thing I will say about this is the struggles of the bullpen definitely does compromise the Orioles' ability to keep both of these five guy, uh, rule five guys throughout the entire season. Um, that is definitely – I mean, so much of the Orioles' bullpen flexibility is reduced by having both rule five guys on the roster, um, and especially given the fact that they aren't generally multi-inning guys. These are guys that throw one inning and then are basically done. Um, so that combined a really good and effective bullpen, maybe you can hide these guys an entire season, but especially with these struggles of this bullpen, I don't see how this is a sustainable formula to keep these guys um, other than injuries uh, and deferring the problem and punting the problem away to a later date. I don't see uh, a formula for how to make it through with both of them uh, without drastic changes to the bullpen. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've not really necessarily seen anything from either one of them that has me super intrigued. Uh, I know Scruller had kind of a, a moment earlier in the year where he was, it was that changeup of his that was really interesting. Stuck out Aaron Judge and everything. We all yeah. excited. So, I mean, maybe, maybe that's still there, but I, I think, yeah, you need to, you need to make some roster decisions here. It's getting a little bit dicey because the, the starting rotation just is what it is, you know? Maybe Dean Kramer bounces back a little bit. Maybe Keegan Hagen can be more effective or something like that. But you're not going to have five guys that can go six or seven innings every time. It just ain't happening. So And then you know. beyond that, you know, later this year, we're going to have the Wellses, the Lothers, the Ballmans, you know, all these guys knocking on the door and needing opportunities. Um, and, yeah, some people are going to have to get axed. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll, we'll monitor. I'm sure he'll get several more uh, rehab. Uh, outings first before the Orioles have to do anything too too drastic. Yeah, and I mean the other light note to kind of like be thinking about too with all of this is how is the trade deadline um, mm-hmm. and and how all of these kind of uh, forces impact the Orioles at the trade deadline and the fo- uh, and the roster construction and everything like that, um, especially with. Um, Harvey struggling a little bit more. His stock might be declining a little bit, especially if he doesn't put together some good starts. Um, we still have a long way to go before the deadline. but um, And then in terms of the bullpen, uh, Valdez is definitely, uh, I think, a, a potential trade chip if he is pitching well. Um, not that the Orioles are going to get a ton back for him, but um, it, he's an old guy. There's a lot of team control. Um he's a very cheap option for a major league team. So I can definitely see other major. So maybe a little bit down the line, the Orioles try to resolve some of their uh, roster flexibility issues through trade. So that's a possibility, Um, but it's going to be hard to do that. If we don't have guys that are performing, if Cesar Valdez is not pitching well, um, if Sean Armstrong or guys like this are not pitching well in the pen. Yeah, I think these next two months, it's definitely a time to watch the bullpen because there are some pieces that you'd hope would be easy to move. But uh, right now, I don't I don't see that happening, but it could definitely change. Um, okay, uh, another minor move to kind of talk about. We touched on it last week. Rio Ruiz was DFA'd and it's official. He's no longer a part of the Baltimore Orioles organization. He was claimed by the Colorado Rockies and is currently with their AAA outfit, the Albuquerque Isotopes. So big things for Rio. It's quite a name. It is. It's a good, minor league teams have some cool names. The Orioles don't really have any cool names in their minor league system, but 
I think uh, the Cubs have the Modesto Nuts. I like that one, too. Um, but yeah, Rio Ruiz is gone, guys. Um, how are we feeling? Any... I have nothing to say. <laughs> We, yeah, yeah, I we mean, we kind of talked about it. it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's clear it wasn't working out. It hasn't worked out, and um, it wasn't he, working out coming out of spring training. We all said right. it wasn't working out. <laughs> we established it wasn't working out, and then it didn't work out. And now it's kind of working out because he's gone. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, he's going to another organization that's rebuilding. So I think he's probably going to go to a similar situation where he's sort of a stopgap. Hey, you can come up, play a little bit, you know, but you're not the guy of the future. And I think that's just sort of the player that Rio Ruiz is, unfortunately for him. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he definitely has to make some adjustments with the bat in order to have <laughs> any sort of chance at, at major league stability and playing for a few years. I mean, yeah, he, he's now can, he's kind of opened up his resume. He can play a little second base and that does lower the, the offensive bar a little bit. So yeah, you know, I think it's possible he gets to the point where, he can play a major league caliber second base, but not not for the Orioles, not in 2021. Um, okay, let's talk about the thing that's sort of become uh, taking on a life of its own on Orioles social media, the Orioles catching situation. Uh, it's become a bit dire. Eli, you said earlier that Pedro Severino can't catch a ball normally, let alone a, a change up three to four feet outside. Uh, yeah, Orioles catchers have not been too effective this year. I'm on fan graphs and I just sorted by, you know, position groups by team. And the Orioles have the third worst catching group in baseball. It looks like the Marlins and the Angels are the only two teams with less valuable catchers behind the plate. Um, but Chance Sisko in particular has kind of drawn the ire of uh, Orioles fans. Uh, he was kind of billed coming up as an offensive first catcher who you just sort of hoped his defense would come along. Uh, well, this year he's batting 145 with a 243 on base percentage and a 177 slugging, while also playing slightly better defense than Pedro Severino, actually, according to some metrics, but still not uh, not exactly gold glove caliber, whereas Severino has been the better hitter of the duo and starts most games. But uh, defensively, I think, even though he caught John, John Means' no-hitter this year, I think a lot of fans have started to kind of lose their patience with Severino behind the plate. Um, so I don't know, Jesse, maybe I'll go to you first about the catching situation. What do you sort of make? What should the Orioles do? Do you stick with these two? Um, do you go with just one of them and go to AAA? And if you do, you know, who in AAA are you kind of eyeing up? What do you make of the situation? Yeah, well, it's I mean, it's definitely a big problem for the Orioles, especially this young team. It's really important to have a catcher behind the plate, uh, especially for a young team and a young pitching staff. Um, it's really important. Uh, obviously, catchers, shortstops, kind of center fielders, you know, these are the key positions on the diamond. And um, so much of everything runs through the catcher um, on, on the infield. So, um, no, I mean, it's definitely a problem. Um, of course, like especially with uh, the Orioles this year, uh, defense – uh, for catchers needs to be the absolute priority. Um, even y- if you're a competitive team trying to make a playoff push, uh, you probably concern yourself a little more with the offensive production of a catcher. Where the Orioles are at right now, the offensive production of the catcher really doesn't matter much to me at all. 
uh, the problem is the defensive production of the catcher matters a lot to me, mm-hmm. and none of that is happening right now. Um, yeah, I mean, both catchers are, are really kind of frustrating, um, especially in the last year. Uh, Severino kind of established himself more as a uh, hitting first catcher, um, which is fine, but it's not exactly where the Orioles are at right now. <laughs> We don't need a hitting first catcher. We right. need a defensive first catcher. And the fact that we don't even have a good defensive catcher as a backup, that's a <laughs> giant problem too. Because, I mean, at the bare minimum, you know, if you go with sort of an offensive first catcher, usually that is complemented with a defensive first catcher backup and right. or vice versa, right? But – the fact that the Orioles have two offensive first catchers, um, so we have no defensive catching <laughs> prowess, and in addition to that, our offensive hitting catchers are not hitting, right? So basically, I mean, Chancisco is really not providing anything uh, to us. I mean, you have at this point with Cisco, I mean, it's it's getting to the make or break point with him, like. Uh, but in terms of Severino, just because of the track record, you hope that maybe something comes together for him a little bit. But you also expect that as a veteran catcher at this point in his major league career, he is not having the defensive struggles that he's having, and he doesn't have the defensive regression that he's having. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a big problem, and I think the Orioles need to find – somehow some defensive first catcher somewhere uh, because the, I, this can't continue all season. I will say Cisco for some, somehow he's throwing runners out though. He's thrown out two thirds of base runners while like the league average is like a quarter of base runners. So that's kind of come out of nowhere for him because that's typically been the area he's really struggled at. So right. I don't know if he's just getting lucky there, which he probably is. It's nine, nine stolen base attempts. He's thrown out six of them. And, so and, there's that. Yeah, I mean, hit, runners might have been too aggressive, uh, more <laughs> like, aggressive. Oh, it's Francisco back there. Yeah, just right, go. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. right. So, um, yeah, and in but in addition to that, the other metrics for him, you know, are are concerning. Right? Yeah, he's the a pitch, bad pitch. The framer. pitch framing yeah. uh, in well, particular. That was so. one thing I was going to point out. Right when Severino originally came over, he was a glove first guy, and he was one of the better pitch framers in the game. He is grading out as the worst pitch framer in the game of baseball right now, even worse than Chancisco. Mm-hmm. And Chancisco is hitting at a clip where his OPS is 21, right? The average is 100. So the average MLB player yeah. is almost five times more productive at the bat, at bat than Chancisco is, right? Pedro Severino is only at 77 OPS plus. Yeah. And that's a guy who the last two years has been a 96 and a 93. Right, he was a legitimate like offensive weapon mm-hmm. from the catching position. Catchers normally hover around like I think it's seventy five eighty. So right now he's about a league average catcher with the bat, and he's this god awful pitch framer. <laughs> like you know we we were joking he can't catch the ball, but John Means' no hitter was a perfect game if not for a drop third strike. Right? right, you know we do. Don't uh, get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> like it, it's a dumb rule. So you know we've talked about. Pedro Severino not being able to catch it. He is the worst pitch framer in the game of baseball for all catchers getting any kind of regular time. He, he He's a liability back there, you know? And I agree, like, 
you know, usually one is complimented by the other or whatever, but they both suck right now. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's at a point where it's really infuriating. And like Jesse was saying, you know, stability behind the plate for a young, inexperienced pitching staff as, as we have guys cycling through, coming up, making MLB debuts, you, you need somebody you can rely on back there, right? You, you cannot have somebody who, you know, somebody's scared to bounce a pitch for that third strike. Right, they need to be able to have full faith and confidence that if I'm executing a one-two curveball down in the zone, I can bounce that thing and my catcher will collect it, throw the ball to first base. There is just about nothing more important than stability behind the plate for young pitchers, and we are completely lacking it. And in terms of the pitch framing, I mean the difference between a one-two count and a two-one count because Severino or Cisco behind the plate. Uh, takes a strike and makes it a ball, right, and doesn't present it well to the umpire. Um, this can also be just like errors in the field behind a pitcher, right? This can be very frustrating and very grating when, you know, you're dotting the corner right. and, it, and it's not being need, called strike. Yeah, you don't need young pitchers working any harder than they have to. And, you know, you need them focused on executing. And, like, as long as they execute, whatever needs to happen for them after executing should happen for them. You know, you have to put them in that comfy, cushy spot where they don't have to completely take control of the game, right? They just do what they're supposed to do and it works out. Um, that being said, you know, to your point of what do the Orioles do about this situation? Mm-hmm. I say absolutely nothing. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, like I'm not married to Chance Cisco. I'm fine with getting rid of him, bringing Austin Wins up. Um, if anyone's ever heard of the Birds podcast, we'll shout them out. They're doing a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, they keep throwing out on Twitter, you know, Austin wins his batting average is now up to 326 in AAA. He's hitting the ball well. We do know he's a stable defensive guy. He has been for years. I'm not mad at that. Like, I don't think the chance Cisco is ever going to come around to being an MLB quality starting catcher. Um, I think, you know, he's had his opportunities and he struggles. And that is what it is. Right. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, I think the obvious person to go to would be Austin Wins. The issue is there. there's no other catchers on the 40-man roster, so they're going to have to make a move. And I, I would imagine the move would be to cut Francisco or, or to DFA him and maybe you squeeze him through and you get him back to Norfolk somehow. But, yeah, something's got to be done. I think Austin Hay- or sorry, Austin Wins uh, would be the obvious move. I mean, the the other thing with this, of course, is, right, would Austin Wins be starting? And if he is the backup, yes, it is good if one or two days a week we have Austin Wins starting instead of Cisco. But if Severino stays the starting catcher, how much difference is this move like this really going to well, make? Well, I guess I think you let him play and you see what happens. And maybe Wins becomes the guy you go to more often. Right. You know, Taylor Taylor Davis is down in AAA, too. He's played in the big leagues with the Cubs, not for very long. I think Wins has actually played in the big leagues longer than him, which Wins has not played in the big leagues that much, <laughs> so that's not, not too uh, inspiring. But, yeah, I mean, I think the focus has got to be on pitching development. And even if you think that Austin Wins makes you a, a minuscule amount better, I think that's what you've got to do. Because the, the ship has sailed on Chance Cisco. He's yeah. not, not going to become some great hitting catcher. Right. It's not happening. All right. Now we're going to get out of the major leagues and talk some minor leagues because that's where sort of the, the silver lining, as we kind of alluded to earlier this week, is down on the farm. 
we're just going to run through each of the levels and their records real quick. The AAA Norfolk Tides are 7-14. and 14. The AA Bowie Bay Sox are 15-5. and five. The High A Aberdeen Ironbirds are 14-7. and seven, And the Low A Delmarver Shorebirds are 15-6. and six. This is kind of reflective of sort of where the Orioles' talent lies at the moment. Norfolk is a little bit thin. Not a lot of guys that are of interest up there. And the ones that are are actually hurt at the moment. Uh, whereas Bowie is currently stacked. Aberdeen has a bunch of interesting uh, names there, and Delmarva's offense is like insanely good um, all the time. Uh, I don't know if you guys have anything to say on that, but it's just sort of interesting, and 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 I think it is exciting to see that you know all the talk has been about developing this pipeline of talent, and it's actually kind of showing itself um, in this first month of the minor league season. Yeah, fully agreed. Um... You know, like Tyler said, the Bay Sox, Ironbirds, Shorebirds, the lower levels of the minors are where you really see the talent of the Orioles system. You know, AAA is just kind of a, like, revolving door of guys that, you know, the pitchers were sending up and down. Poor Ryan McKenna just constantly <laughs> on the bus back and forth. Uh, so, you know, like, we expect them to be a little bit worse. And our high-level talent, I think four of our top ten prospects are in Bowie right now. Mm-hmm. Um Kind of, you could say five because Michael Bauman's about, you know, he's there right now until he yeah. rejoins AAA. Um, and, you know, that is Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, and Adley Rutschman, who are our top three, three prospects, all just chilling at AA Bowie. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and Rodriguez just got promoted, I think, earlier today yep. as we're recording this. He started in Aberdeen yesterday, and that was his last start at High A, and now the Orioles are really going to be pushing him. I think. There was some expectation he would have started the year in Bowie, so it's not too surprising to see him go uh, promoted so soon. But, um, yeah, I mean, it sort of feels like 2023 is kind of the year that things are going to start to click in Baltimore a little bit. Yeah, and I, I think the other point that's really exciting is, aside from Norfolk, uh, it it's this avalanche of talent that we have coming up to the major leagues, and they're all clicking on uh, – they're all clicking together at the same time. They're all playing very, very well aside from Norfolk. And, um, th- and, and, and this is definitely barring some major disaster. This avalanche of ta- ta- talent should make its way, at least some of it up to the majors and the Orioles should, yeah, see some, uh, some results from this. Yeah. And I even think Norfolk has some upside there because Jemai Jones has been hurt for a while um, Zach Luther struggled, but you know he's better than what he's shown. Ballman's going to be back, like you said, Eli. So I think Norfolk probably will be better than this. But yeah, it's, you know, they're kind of the extra major league guys that sort of fill the gaps. And the major league team's not that good, so it's not too surprising there. Um, and and all, of these, all of these teams are winning two out of three games, and Bowie's winning three out of four games a day, or, you know, every few games. So, right. I mean, these aren't you know, five ten winning percentages. These are really, really good winning percentages. Absolutely. And it's uh, only a month. It's small sample sizes. You know, we were talking, some people are overreacting to Adley Rutschman not hitting 350, and, you know, it, he's still crushing the ball. Things are on track. I, I just need to cut in right here. If, if you ever hear anybody <laughs> say that Adley Rutschman is not hitting well, they're out of their minds, right? His weighted Grins Creative Plus is a 158 right now. That means by that measure, he is hitting 58% better than the average player in the league. Like, the dude is destroying the ball. It, he is drawing walks at a ridiculous clip. He's hitting bombs. I, 
anyone you hear, and I'm saying this because I have heard it, <laughs> anyone you hear saying that Adley Rushman is not hitting the ball well is outright wrong. And right. that's all I have to say about that. And, and I, you know, look, it is double A, so, you know, those numbers are probably lower in the big leagues, but still, he's also a catcher. Like, put it all in context and perspective. Like, if he was hitting like this in the major leagues, he would be the basically the best hitting catcher in major league baseball. Well, he's, uh, al- he's also going to be a better hitter when he gets to the major league. Right. And, right, and, right. and the other thing I need to say about this is I think he played 19 games in 2019. Right. He sat out last year. And so this is like the first month of baseball that he's played, you know, really played professionally. He skipped A. Like, I think he only played in rookie ball and then went to low A. Uh, yeah. If I remember right, in 2019. Yeah. And, I think so. Yeah, and so, you know, he skipped high A. He's starting out in double A. And he's hitting the ball extremely well. Like, I'm not hearing this nonsense <laughs> that Abby Rushman is not playing well at double A right now. And also, I think another important thing to remind yourself of is like, okay, He's also a catcher, and the defensive value he brings is also a huge part of what he will be for the Baltimore Orioles. D.L. Hall has actually been shouting him out, like, says he loves pitching to him. Okay. Um, Yeah, I've seen that a couple times. No, yeah, it seems like everybody's kind of clicking down there in the minors, and um, I've noticed at Camden Chat, you know, I can look at the stats for the website, and it used to be... Like, if you analyze something at the big league level, like, you were like, oh, Anthony Santander's hitting the ball really hard, and this is why he's successful, whatever. If you read some article about that, that would get the most hits. Nowadays, it's like the minor league stories get all the hits, uh, all the clicks. So that's really what people are interested in. And, you know, I, I get it. I'm kind of in the same ballpark. Um, but one player that's kind of not, he's not really a highly regarded prospect at all. In fact, he went undrafted last year. But he's currently crushing the ball. Now it's down at low A, Delmarva, so take it all with a grain of salt. Uh, but J.D. Mundy, the Shorebirds' first baseman, currently has a 205 WRC+. Plus. Now, Eli, you were kind of putting the outline together today, and you sort of brought him to our attention. Like, I had read his name, and I knew about him, but I hadn't really done much research on him. So, you know, what are your thoughts on Mr. Mr. Mundy? Well, see, what's really hilarious here is I'm usually the guy on this podcast who's done the reading on these guys, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about this guy. Fangraphs does not have a scouting report on him. He wasn't on their like draft prospects board last year. Um, there was not even like a perfect game grade and scouting report from him coming out of high school. I know nothing about this guy. <laughs> he went to Virginia Tech and then he transferred to Radford. He hit 13 bombs for Radford last year and the Orioles signed him. That's yeah. all I can tell you. But he's hitting 354. With a 488 on base and a 631 slugging, he's just demolishing the ball. I mean, outright demolishing the ball. And I am anxious to learn more. Yeah, and he's listed at six foot two ten, which means he's probably like five ten, uh, two thirty five or something <laughs> like that, because that's typically how that goes. Um, but no, I mean, I think like you know, we don't know anything about Mundy, but it's cool that a guy that nobody really knows about on across baseball is playing really well. I'm not even sure how much it says about the Orioles system. I think this could just be sort of a fluky thing, but you know, the draft was only five rounds last year. If it was the normal 40 rounds or whatever, maybe he gets drafted somewhere in the twenties or something as a senior sign for a 10 grand bonus or whatever, but it's a cool story. I hope he keeps doing it. And you know, maybe some miracle happens and JD Mundy ends up in Baltimore someday. It'd be pretty exciting. 
Yeah, and, and this is the kind of thing that goes that, that happens when you have good minor league systems, right? There are guys that kind of emerge through all of it that excel and that weren't on people's radar, and that's the sign of a, a good minor league system. So hopefully we have more situations like this to come. Yeah, one thing I want to kind of comment on is, you know, like people always point, and we talked about this a little bit last year when the draft was announced as being only five rounds. But, you know, like, Mike Piazza was drafted in, like, the 42nd round or something right. like that. and went on to be this Hall of Fame catcher. When you reduce the draft to five rounds, I, I, I mean, you know, somebody who was drafted in the seventh round a couple years ago was considered a legitimate prospect, you know, a good talent. And, you know, when you reduce the draft to five rounds, you are you, you're, you're skipping out on so many potential prospects. You're, you know, really, really minimizing... Um, I don't know, you're, you're just minimizing the possibilities. You're minimizing opportunities for this game to grow. You're minimizing opportunities for young guys to come and get their shot. Um, and I really resent that. And so to see an undrafted free agent coming out in the first month of the minor league season and setting the world on fire, that gets me going. That gets me really, really excited. And it makes me, you know, super anxious about the direction that baseball is going, trying to kind of eradicate the minor leagues for lack of a better term right i mean look at the orioles roster you could argue their three best players trey mancini cedric mullins john means none of those guys are drafted in the first five rounds Uh, mancini was an eighth round pick mullins a 13th round pick means an 11th round pick you know not that the mlb is talking about making it five rounds every year but they're talking about making it shorter than the 40 or whatever it normally is um, well, so yeah, I, I think it is five again this year. Oh, really? Yeah, I think it's oh, five geez. again this year, and they haven't said for 2022. Yeah, it's it's not not long enough, not not long enough at all, and it's just a, such a clear cost cutting measure above everything else. So it's it's disappointing. And in conjunction with that, I mean, the the other thing to point out is, especially if the the draft is going to be less rounds more indefinitely in the future. Teams are going to invest less time, resources, and and energy into the draft. So there are guys that aren't even going to be properly scouted to be given a chance to even be eligible to be drafted in the five rounds, really. So that's another that's another part of this, too, is uh, just not only are people not having opportunity – but they're not even going to have the opportunity to be looked at in order to they're be not gonna potentially have the drafted to have the in the five <laughs> rounds, right? Right, absolutely. No, I'm you know I, I get not making it forty rounds, but yeah, five rounds seems a bit a bit severe. Um, some other good news and another sign of a good system is the Orioles are starting to promote some guys. We mentioned Grayson Rodriguez is moving from High A Aberdeen to Double A Bowie. Also, already moved up is Kyle Bradish, who was dominant at Double A Bowie. This is one of the guys the Orioles got from the Angels for Dylan Bundy prior to the 2020 season. Uh, he's now been promoted to AAA Norfolk and struggled a little bit in his first start, but seems to have established himself as a legitimate prospect at the Orioles. Yeah, had not allowed a run in AA this entire season. Yeah, he, he was he was incredible. So, and, and, you know, that's another thing. The Orioles might be becoming a little bit of a pitching uh, factory, which is weird, but I'm kind of, I'm all for it. <laughs> it, it. It's in stark contrast to the great prospects of Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gossman sucking for us. And yeah. then Gossman now being a pretty elite pitcher with the Giants. Bundy having a phenomenal year last year with the Angels. Not quite so much this year, but yeah. Absolutely. 
Um, so yeah, exciting for that as well. And then one other minor league note, uh, the Orioles announced now, Jesse, did you, did you bring this, this story up? Do you want to explain the, the housing story or no? no. no? Okay. Okay. So yeah, the, yeah, you yeah, know, the Orioles announced that, um, they're going to provide housing for, uh, everybody at double a and below for through the month of May, which is nice. You know, minor league players do not make enough money. Uh, do not make the type of money they should given the work they put in. Um, but you know, they probably something they should do for the entire season or, you know, I don't know, unionize the minor leagues and make them a lot more money. What they can buy their idea. own, <laughs> they can rent their own housing. <laughs> well, I, I mean that, that really is, uh, the big problem. And that really does, uh, explain why minor leaguers are, are really abused, uh, in how they're treated. Uh, I mean, and and the union. I mean, the uh, the MLB Players Association is generally speaking a very powerful organization, um, and they they the union delivers for the players. And I don't want to draw this giant contrast between what the union is and what the players are. The players make up the union, right? But um, yeah, the fact that uh, the minor leaguers don't have uh, and are not unionized. Um, it is uh, deliberate. Uh, it is um, due to the efforts of Major League Baseball to keep this cheap labor force working. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we definitely need to keep an eye on uh, the minor leaguers and and kind of the welfare of minor league baseball players because they kind of are the lifeblood of Major League Baseball, even though players don't. Uh, a lot of them won't ever make the major leagues. Uh, all major league players were in the minor leagues at one point in their career. And um, I mean, it's it's MLB Major League Baseball is dependent on a vibrant minor league system, let alone, as we've kind of talked about on the show before, all the benefits of my, minor league baseball for local economies, uh, for uh, people uh, – you know, for families, uh, in the United States, uh, to have, uh, to be able to go see a minor league baseball game at a very affordable price and everything like that. So, um, definitely don't want to understate, uh, the contributions that minor league baseball players, uh, uh, make to baseball and, um, don't want to understate how important it is for them to be treated properly. Yeah. So, one of the things I was reading, you know, reading an article about this, and they say that a lot of times minor legal minor leaguers will end up spending about fifty percent of their monthly salary on just renting a room. Mm-hmm. You, you know, so the Orioles providing housing for these lower level minor leaguers, and so you know this was double A and below, so it, it is the guys who need it most. You know, the guys in triple A probably have had, you know. They probably coffee, yeah. right have slightly higher salaries. They're in the eighty to one hundred k range. You know, they might have gotten a week or two in the majors where they get that bumped up salary or so. So they're probably in better shape. These minor league guys who are in double A and below are, you know, probably making somewhere between thirty and fifty thousand dollars. Maybe and spending, yeah, and that's right. Maybe maybe much less. I've seen yeah. down to like twelve thousand dollars in a season. And they're spending more than half of this, you know, on their monthly housing. So it's kind of barbaric. Let alone food and other right. just general expenses that 
come along with living in this society. Well, and that was a whole other thing with the shortened draft, too, is like typically, you know, the longer drafts, there'd be guys in the seventh round, eighth round to get a hundred thousand dollar signing bonus. Now it was if you didn't get drafted, the most you could sign for, I think, was 10 grand. Right. So you're giving these guys 10 grand and then you're going to say, here's 20 grand for this year. I mean, 30 grand a year. Where, where does that get you anywhere in the country? Very, very little anywhere. So it's it's ridiculous. And, you know, this goes beyond baseball. This 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 goes into the political sphere. Mainstream politicians have talked about this for a long time. How how does Major League skirt around these these uh, uh, minimum wage disputes with this type of stuff? It's it's absurd. So, you know, stay stay in, informed in the know about this. And you should be just as upset about it as the players probably are. Uh, yeah. And, you know, this is definitely not the first kind of realm to go into because obviously their basic needs yeah. and general welfare uh, takes precedent. But also, these players are playing under very stressful conditions where it's hard for them to eat and it's hard for them to live. Um, and from a strictly baseball perspective, Th- that is not the environment uh, to create in which for the players to be playing their best, to be able to demonstrate their abilities to their fullest capacity, uh, et cetera. So, right, you that- get a cramp because you were sitting on a bus for 12 hours, right? And then you know right. you got to go out there and loosen up in the half hour before your next game. Right, and then or your you finish- back hurts. Right, you finish yeah. it and you got to get on another bus and you got to drive overnight, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. Well, and this kind of made me think of last week you brought up the the Jacob deGrom story of him pitching the minors. I think in that same rehab stint, you know, a lot of times when these major leaguers do a rehab stint, they'll buy like the postgame spread right. or whatever. Exactly. And they were like, oh, yeah, Jacob deGrom treated the guys to like a Chick-fil-A spread after the game. It's like they're professional athletes. And the, the spread is fried chicken and fries from a fast food restaurant. Like, come on, get them, get them some stuff that's actually good for their body. This is... So just it's all just ridiculous and, and insane. And I get that these minor league teams are basically small businesses that have no money themselves. So I don't even it's not their fault. It's Major League Baseball and these multi-million dollar corporations that can't afford to feed these guys and pay these guys. They just don't want to because it hurts their their personal income there. And again, I've made this point before, but it's so short sighted because there are bound to be stars that are not discovered bound yeah. to be Albert Pujols's and Miguel Cabrera's out there that could have been that won't be because the investment in the minor league systems were not present so it's a very short-sighted part uh uh play by major league baseball yeah absolutely so just something to, to always pay attention to and you know make your voices heard it's minor league baseball's under attack and it's pretty pretty clear so just uh yeah stay on top of it um all right that wraps up all the topics we wanted to talk about this week uh before we get out of here we do want to do the oriole of the week last week's uh oriole was nailed by uh brady of course dm'd us and then what was the twitter username eli how do you say at la lucha sigue nailed it it was al bumbry uh, was the Oriole of the Week last week. So thank you so much for participating. Uh, for those that don't know, you can go on Twitter and just tweet at us, or you can DM us on Instagram or Twitter and let us know who you think the Oriole of the Week is. We'll give you three clues, and then you reach out to us with who you think it is, and then we'll shout you out on the show. So this week's Oriole, uh, the first clue is that in December of 2009, this person injured themselves while shooting a commercial promoting the Orioles' 2010 season. 
Uh, they had they then had to delay spring training by I think about ten days as a result of the injury. Next one, he played with the Chunichi, Dra- Chunichi Dragons of the Nippon Professional Baseball League in 2012, and only managed to strike out 3.7 per nine, just abysmal strikeout numbers. Uh, and finally, uh, he was the South Atlantic League Coach of the Year in 2016, 2018. 2018. Yeah, and that's the league the Shorebirds used to be in. Now they've changed the name of all the minor league leagues again, which is a whole other freaking thing. Um, so, yeah, who do you think it is? Uh, let us know. Tweet at us, Instagram us, all that jazz. You can follow us at The Warehouse Pod on all of the various social medias. You can email us, thewarehousepod at gmail.com. You can head over to thewarehousepod.com, which will redirect you to thewarehousepod.substack.com. There you can see all of our past episodes, and you can also sign up uh, to our email list, and you'll get the episodes sent directly to your inbox and uh, if you prefer you can go to your preferred podcast platform like spotify apple tune in or anywhere else and uh, subscribe to the podcast there and if you're able to please give us a positive rating it helps us reach other orioles fans um jesse where can people follow you online all the listeners can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at juggernaut8678 j-u-g-g-e-r-n-a-u-t 8678 nice Eli? I'm on Instagram at Gindy55 and on Twitter at Elijah Ginsburg. Cool. And I am on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Ty Young and over at CamdenChat.com. Um, next week, we're going to hopefully talk about an Orioles win. We're not even doing predictions for next week. Well, will the Orioles win a game next week? I Eli. Wow. Just, I'll say yes. Yeah, I'll say yes, too. Uh, we'll talk about hopefully at least one Orioles win. Uh, we are going to also get into a big thing going on around baseball about pitchers doctoring the balls with foreign substances. There was a whole big dust up this week, and there's been past allegations against John Means, among others. So we will get into that. And then we'll also give you another little minor league update because I think that's pretty cool, and we want to stay on top of what's going on down on the farm. All right. So, like yeah, real yeah. quick. All those places that Tyler mentioned, you can follow us, contact us. If you got any thoughts about the MLB's approach oh, yeah. to handling, doctoring these balls. If you've got any thoughts about even about pitchers using them, um, if you think that John Means touching the inside of his glove right there is uh, the worst thing ever and he should be banned from baseball, let us know. Yeah, and we'll give you our thoughts and uh, we'll do a little digging to maybe find out what exactly is going on. We'll definitely have an interesting conversation about it next week. Absolutely. Um, All right. Well, that's about all we got. Uh, Thank you so much for joining the Warehouse Podcast. Until next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Neil. Let's go O's.